This episode of Dead and Married is brought to you by the wonderful makers of Zyrtec. No, not really, but bear with me because I have horrible fucking allergies. Like, if you guys remember, oh god, it's, it's been at least six months ago when we were doing the Halloween series, and I was like sick for like two or three episodes. You remember that? Yeah. That, that I, had, I had Phoebe's sexy phlegm. Yeah, you kept insisting <laughs> that it was sexy, but not so much. My stinky, stinky shoes. Sounds horrible. I don't know what that is. <laughs> anyway, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm your host, Ashley. And I'm Travis. And today we're giving out our final Easter egg of the month to my best friend, Mary Fitzpatrick, who's in studio. Everybody give her a round of applause, golf clap, something. She's not going to say <laughs> hi, but she is our resident Stephen King scholar. She sure is. And we did originally ask her if she wanted to be in on this episode. And she's like, dude, no. So she may interject from time to time, which will be awesome. But if she doesn't, guys, don't hold it against her. But at any rate, we're here to discuss 1989's Pet Cemetery, the bringer of all traumatic movie going experiences if you were under the age of 10. So are you saying that it is not scary to adults? Because that kind of defeats the purpose of I our mean, podcast. I mean, okay, there's a there's a difference between watching it without kids and then watching it again with kids. So you get that initial scare of Gage, Zelda, that kind of thing when you're a kid. But then when you're an adult, it ceases to be scary. And then you have kids and then it becomes scary on a whole other level. No, Zelda still creeps me out. <laughs> Rage. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I'm going to twist your back like mine. No. I'm going to do that to you when you go to bed tonight. (laughs) You can, I guess. I'll sleep on the couch. Started with the snorts. I'll just move. What is your experience with Pet Cemetery? Um, It's a movie. Oh, my God. Here we go again. Like, every single time. What do you mean, my experience? (laughs) I I didn't watch this movie until I was an adult. Okay. So... Uh, it's whatever my experience was when I watched it with you the first time, I guess. Uh-huh. So, uh, also, Gage creeps me out still. Like the whole, spoilers, the Achilles tendon cut thing. Right, uh-huh. That still gives me the skeeves. And, and you also call sister, yourself... Zelda, no. And you also call yourself a constant reader, and yet you've never read the novel. Shame. I, I would be willing to Shame. bet that I've still... Shame. I'm ringing the bell. You can't see it. Shame. Yeah. You're going to make me walk <laughs> naked through the street. I don't know. There there are people out there that would pay to not see that. Maybe we should set up a Patreon for that. Let's not. Because if nobody gave any money, then I would be kind of roped in at that point. I don't want to get locked into public nudity. It'll be bad for everybody. So, um, but I guess my... I still think I've read more Stephen King than you have. Oh, I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. So, of who's it. the real constant reader here? Well, you haven't read the classics, so I think that's debatable. Has well, that not read Pet Cemetery. What you define Has as not a read classic. It. What do you define as a classic? Yeah. See, look, look. You just set Mary off over here. You haven't read it. N- no. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna buy you so many books for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I own them. I have them. He just hasn't read them. <laughs> No, okay, so here's the deal. I read The Dark Tower. I read the whole series, and then I started going into the books that were attached to that. So, still read a shitload of books, never made it to It, because It is related to mm-hmm. It, the book, is related to The Dark Tower. I just didn't make yeah, it Yeah, because Dandelow's like a type of Pennywise creature, right? Yeah, Almost sort of, yeah. Almost scarier somehow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, they're tied together. <laughs> So my experience with Pet Cemetery, I believe I see this is 89 when it came out, which would have put me at six years old. And I don't think I watched it when I was six. I had to have been eight, 
maybe, maybe nine. And we rented it and I sat and I'm sitting watching the movie and everything's fine and I'm going on. And yeah, Head Wound Harry is pretty freaky or whatever, but I was somehow still okay with that up until the Achilles tendon scene. And then from that point, as I said last week, fuck this shit, I'm out. And I left the living room and went and stayed with my granny and helped her cook because my granny is like very, well, she, she was at the time, not now. She's very against horror movies. So she wanted no part of this shit, especially anything having to do with people coming back from the dead. You know, that's all the devil's work and shit. So I went in the kitchen and just helped her cook or something (laughs) until the movie was over. And then I don't remember what point I picked it up again, but I know I watched it several times throughout my adulthood and adolescence and whatnot. But yeah, I I love this movie. It's it's fucking great all the time. It's it's a comfort movie at this point. And I have read the novel. Thank you. Do you want a cookie? Is that what that is? <laughs> Actually, it's a funny story. The first time I read it, I think it's been a few years ago that I read it. And I ended up reading it all in one sitting because I had started it during the day, but it somehow became nighttime and I was just so invested I couldn't put it down. But there came to a point where I was alone in our bedroom reading it in the dark and I got fucking terrified because the I think everyone here is in agreement. Well, not you, but Mary here would probably be in agreement with me that the novel is so much scarier than the film is. Yes. So the movie, you get to see some visuals of things, but then when you read and you're like getting to interpret it in your mind, it gets like way more twisted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's way more descriptive too than what you see in the film. So I ended up not putting it down for the, at one point, not because I was so invested, but because I was too afraid to put it down. Kind of like on Friends, whenever Joey put The Shining in his freezer. (laughs) Same thing. And Travis is looking at me like, what the fuck? If it's in the freezer, it can't hurt you. <laughs> okay, so you were reading an actual book, like on paper, or were you listening to an audiobook? You know what? Well, you said you were reading it in the dark. Well, I mean, I had the bathroom light on because at the time our bedroom had a bathroom okay. attached to it, and so I, I had get, that light on. I got a question. Uh-huh. Right, so w- when you say I read a book, it, you read it, right? On paper, or on a Kindle, or on your phone, or whatever, right? Uh-huh. Apparently, audiobooks count. Yes? I so think they do. So that means that my listening and hearing a story, that's equivalent to reading a book. I, yeah. Yes? So is watching a movie where you hear the story the same as listening to an audiobook, which is equivalent to reading a book. No. There is literally no difference. No. There is a difference. There is no difference. Yes, there is. You are listening to someone else tell you your story. No, but a movie will never be in line with a book exactly. Like, if they would do it, that'd be great. But they're going to always change something, edit something. So, like, if they wanted, if you did a movie that was exactly worded like the book, I would agree with you. See, I knew I could set you off and get you to talk. With that being said, honey, are you ready to do this shit? Yeah, I mean, we didn't talk about the ratings, we didn't talk about the cast, we didn't talk about any of that shit, but if you want to go ahead and jump in... Let's go ahead and jump into this bitch. You need to go back to Each formula. man digs his own. You dig your own grave. <laughs> this is your obligatory spoiler warning. At Dead and Married, we talk about major plot points that might ruin films for the casual viewer. If you don't mind spoilers, join us now. Okay. So now that we got all that out of the way, <laughs> let's do some facts, shall we? We shall. So I think you already said it's made in 1989. I was nine. <laughs> I thought so. you were born in 1947. Didn't you say that in the last episode? I, I did. I did say that. <laughs> Don't lie then. It's still true. Anyway, so IMDb has a, a 6.5 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes, it's 53%. Metacritic, it's 38. That, that's, oh man. Which is 
surprising for me. I really thought that it would horrible. be rated. Better. I already know what some of those bitches are going to be too, and I will touch on those. I'm sure you will. <laughs> <laughs> so this uh, this stars the ever sexy Dale Midkiff. Ooh, yes. There's actually one scene in this movie where he he wakes up and he's in his scrubs, and we'll address the whole <laughs> thing about sleeping in scrubs. Yeah. But originally that was supposed to be him laying in bed with his shirt off, mm-hmm. and they decided it was too sexy, so they reshot it. I mean, he is pretty hot. I'm not gonna lie. And <laughs> I, you know what, his face looks familiar, but I honestly couldn't tell you where I've seen him other than this movie. I don't, he was in, I don't think I've seen anything else. Uh, such oh, yeah, classics as Time Tracks and The Crow, Salvation, and Hell's Kitty, what? which is funny that he was in a movie called Hell's Kitty. I saw him in an episode of Dexter. I'm not seeing that. He does have a pretty extensive filmography, though. Yeah. And he was in a movie called Love Comes Softly. Although I would think that sometimes, you know, it's with a little grunt and a weird face, but... Does it? I was going to say, because if it's done the right way, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Let's let's move on. We're getting a little too steamy for this podcast. Mary's like, what the fuck am I sitting in? Yeah. You said the room was hot, but you're making yeah. it hotter. You, you just realized just realized what kind of mistake you made. <laughs> so it also stars Denise Crosby as Rachel Creed. Now I only knew her from uh, Star Trek, The mm-hmm. Next Generation. I also know her from an episode of Dexter. <laughs> I believe she was Dexter's first kill, as a matter of fact. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. Yeah. It stars Fred Gwynn as Judd Crandall. Woohoo! Now, I know Fred Gwynn as Herman Munster from the original Black and White does. TV series. There are people out there that listen to this podcast that are not old enough to know the original The Munsters TV show, I think. Yeah, I think those are some of London's friends. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Uh, who else have we got? Brad Greenquist, who plays Victor Pascal. Michael Lombard, and I've seen him in something else. Or maybe I just the name sounds familiar. He plays Erwin Goldman. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen him in other stuff, but I couldn't tell you what it was. He is, uh, he's the father-in-law. Yeah. Basically. Mm-hmm. And Miko Hughes plays Gage Creed. You know, we, we say a lot, or we have this whole thing about Scream Queens or whatever, but fucking Miko Hughes, he was like Scream Boy there for a while. Yeah, he was in a lot of stuff. Uh, and Blaze Berdahl, she plays Ellie Creed. There needs to be a correction on that, because she was actually played by twins, but for some reason they don't credit her that way. Correct. They only credited... Blaze. Blaze. They did yeah. not credit the twin. Susan Blummert plays Missy Dandridge. She's the the housekeeper. Mm -hmm. And that's almost the end of the cast that you get any kind of screen time with. Now, there is one other that deserves honorable mention. (laughs) And I think he might be the original of the I'm an author sort of cameo thing. Oh! Stephen King himself. The man, the myth, the legend. I think he was starting that way before Stan Lee ever did. Oh, yeah. He plays a minister in this movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that he's probably the first author that I am aware of that did cameos in the movies that were made from his books. And there's, it's not even just his movies he cameos in. I mean, to an extent. That's what I just said. Like, I literally just said that. Shut up. (laughs) I just mean, like, he didn't direct Creepshow or Creepshow 2, and yet there he is. Hey, buddy, what the fuck happened? That was for you, Renee, by the way, if you're listening. (laughs) Yeah. Travis is just a what? <laughs> no, I just I was think of uh, meteor shit. Meteor shit, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, oh, uh, we have to cover those sometime. <laughs> but 
there's some, there's some other cast members in here. Um, it's actually a larger cast than you would think, or there are more people credited than you would think, well, but the, you really don't get any time with any of them. Yeah. So. And the great thing is, is that he went and hired locally. All, I mean, these are a bunch of, what do you call them? Like bust Boston people or Bostonians? What do you call people from Maine? Manians? Uh, residents of Maine. Maniacs? <laughs> they should call that's them maniacs. Good. That would be perfect. <laughs> Considering that's where he's from, that's actually perfect. Yeah. But it was great that he went and he gave all these people jobs. I mean, a lot of people never, like, for instance, the the boy that played young Judd, he never really went on to do anything else, but he cast all these people because it's really important for him to do things locally around Banger and stuff. Like, think he supports their local grocery store and all kinds of shit like that. He's a model American. He really is. <laughs> really is. And Mary and- has gotten to meet him in person. I have. She told him a joke, and then I he did. told her a joke. I don't remember what I said to him. What did he say? <laughs> because to you? I cried a lot, but. <laughs> Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. He said, two jumper cables walk into a bar. And the bartender said, oh no, I messed up. I'm so sorry. Don't apologize <laughs> do to me. Every time. Apologize to Mr. King. Two <laughs> jumper cables walk into a bar. And the bartender looked at him and they said, don't worry. We won't start anything. <laughs> but um, so, so apparently he likes corny jokes. That actually seems appropriate. Yes. And that just makes you love him even more. Like, really. So, talking about supporting his local economy, this was shot in Maine. Yeah. And that was apparently one of his demands on, on making the movie is that you have to film it here. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Other trivia, Bruce Campbell was the originally the first choice to play Lewis Creed. I'm torn with this because, of course, I love Bruce Campbell. Of course I do. We quote him in our Pillow Talk show. I call our listeners our deadites. Like, we love Bruce Campbell in this house, but I have a hard time not having Dale Midkiff in that part. I I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. I, Bruce is it Campbell. Because he's too hot. Maybe. <laughs> no, Bruce Campbell is the man. Seems like he would be too sassy for that role. Does that make sense? <laughs> He can tone it down. Well, no, he really can't. Well, no, 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 <laughs> no. Really Seriously, if, if you think about a movie like Maniac Cop, he's not spouting one-liners or anything like that. For all intents and purposes, as silly as the movie is, he's serious in it. Yeah, that's just not the first thing I think of when I think of Bruce Campbell. I think right. Evil Dead, Army of Darkness. Bubba Hotep. Bubba Hotep, which <laughs> it's on Shudder right? right now. Go watch it. You're welcome. I just want to interject here for a minute before you give me any more of your fun facts, which I probably already know. Do not condescend to me. (laughs) So you and I both talked about, well, I talked, you had nothing to offer, but (laughs) we talked about our first experiences with this film and then Mary did decide to join us. Yay. So Mary, what is your experience with Pet Cemetery? I'm pretty sure I was probably about 10 or so that age um, when you get to start watching scary movies and... My biggest remembrance of it is Zelda. Terrifying, terrifying, terrifying. I know, right? (laughs) And like nightmare fuel, complete nightmare fuel. I do remember reading the book when I was fairly young as well, but I do remember the movie scaring me. And like you said at the beginning, watching it as a kid, you view it one way. And then when you try to watch it again as an adult, it's like almost a completely different movie, especially once you've had kids. And I'm not trying to be like that, like, well, when you have kids kind of thing. But once you have kids, it's there's like a whole nother level of like upsetting. Like I honestly, for a while... I couldn't watch it till my son was like much older. Like I would come on and but like, no, I can't watch it. I can't watch it. But I've gotten over that a little bit now. He's older now. I don't have to worry about it running in the road. I so <laughs> I have it. And maybe maybe it's just because Isabel oh, Isabel's so small. She yeah, she's still little. So sometimes like it's not every time, but sometimes I still cry 
in that scene. And we'll we'll get to the performances and then because I have a strong disagreement with most critics on the subject. Yeah, occasionally it will still reduce me to tears. Oh, it still upsets me. It's just like I'm not I'm actually able to watch it at least. Whereas, right. you know, when he was smaller, I was like paranoia city if you walk outside. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't go kite flying anyway. I mean who does no. that? Having read several of Stephen King's books, he's a big music fan. Like he references music a lot mm-hmm. in his novels. Mm-hmm. And this one's no exception. Uh, he wrote the Ramones into it into yep. the, the Pet Cemetery book. And they actually wrote the theme song for this and performed it themselves. And I, I think love that's that song. pretty badass. Like, and, Isabel loves that song, even. Yeah, and they played Sheena as a punk rocker in uh, the scene where the, the truck driver's driving right before runs over Gage. I think he's singing along. It's a mm-hmm. sing-along song. He's following the bouncing ball. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's really it. If For anybody that wants to call bullshit on it, most of the stuff comes off IMDb. I didn't have time to go fact check all of it. It could be bullshit, so there you go. Mary is so disappointed in you. <laughs> well, like... This is my episode. According to this, George A. Romero was originally set to direct this, but they Mary Lambert stepped in when he 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 did Monkey Shines, I mm-hmm. guess, instead of this movie. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> it's horrible and wonderful all the same. I've never seen it. <laughs> Next episode, <laughs> right? I I think Mary Lambert did a good job. I don't know what George Romero she... would have done better. Honestly. Yeah, and she was a music video director before this. I believe it's her feature film debut. And for all intents and purposes, she did really well. I thought. Last thing, and then we can move on to the movie because the movie is way more interesting than the <laughs> stuff that I have looked at. But Mary can fact check this for us. In the novel, Elias Psychic, in the book, didn't really, or in the in the movie, it really didn't come off that way. Like in, in most of King's books or his novels, they call it the shine. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And I guess in the novel, she had it a little bit, a little bit of psychic power there. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that in the movie at all. I think in the movie it's more alluded to is just flat out. Because I don't think anybody really specifically talks about The Shine unless it's The Shining or Dr. Sleep. Yeah, but I mean, like there's at one point in the in the movie when she's like, you know, call daddy and check on church because church is dead. Well, it's it's mostly no I had a bad dream. Known that. I, yeah. Most of it came from like she wakes up from a dream, but like mm-hmm. she shouldn't know the things that she's knowing. Yeah. Right. But was that, was her power more pronounced in the book? I don't think so. I think it's more or less the same. I think us as Stephen King readers, I think we're the ones who are expected to pick up on that because obviously throughout his series of novels, there's more than one person who has the shine. So yeah, it's just, it's a common theme. In, yeah. in the King uh, universe. Right? Yeah. And I think at this point... Like the low man. That's, it's, it's not unfair to call it that. Yeah. You know, they got the Marvel universe, you've got the DC universe, you've got the Stephen King universe, so... Yeah. His is scary. <laughs> his, I don't want to say his is better because his films are a mixed bag. <laughs> but no, but his books are not. I, I'm afraid I will be tarred and feathered if I say I prefer MCU over Stephen King universe. Oh, no, 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 we're not. We're not. Don't go there. Our mailbox isn't big enough for that hate mail. <laughs> so let's start the movie. So we open over Pet Cemetery. We're basically just going through a series of, of headstones and it's listing all these pets and, you know, their years like like a, like a tombstone. <laughs> and you get these voiceovers from children basically reading off what is on the tombstones. And oddly enough, there's a voice performance by Jonathan Brandis, which I didn't know until recently. So that was 
kind of wild. I would not have picked that out on my own, well, but just, I read him as yeah. uh, voice acting in the cast and crew. And now that it said that, and I hear the voice at the beginning of the movie, now I can put them together, but I would not have done that otherwise. Right, which is funny because then a couple of years later, he would go on to star as Bill in the It miniseries. So just kind of cool, just saying. Um, All roads lead to Stephen King. <laughs> right. But at the end, I think I think we do get a pan over the actual uh, Indian burial ground too, but don't quote me on that. At any rate, once those opening credits are over, then we open with the doomed Orinko truck. We get the station wagon pull up. It has a, a sticker, a bumper sticker, like, have you hugged your MD today or whatever? And we see this family come out to, I guess they're moving into this house. And you get the idea that they've been on the road a long time because little Ellie says, we're finally here or whatever. It's just, you know, it's that really sicky, happy, preppy type of family or whatever. Okay. I just, I just want to point out that it might not have been a long car ride because think about the trip we took today. Takes about 25 minutes. Yeah. And our youngest, five minutes in... Was, are we there yet? That's true. It's taking forever. We're That's in the true. middle of nowhere. <laughs> I will give you that. They're basically all excited because I guess Lewis has been curious to know what Rachel's going to think because I guess apparently she hadn't seen the house at this point. And of course she loves it. While they're getting the baby out of the car, otherwise distracted, Ellie finds a tree swing and starts to swing back and forth. And right as Lewis is telling her to be careful, branch breaks, she falls down and starts the most annoying fucking cry I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it hurts, it hurts. And while they're distracted with this, and I believe in the novel, wasn't she stung by a bee? That's what it was. Possibly. Yeah, she was stung by a bee. While they're distracted by this, we have little Gage, who I believe Miko Hughes was like two? Two and a half, something, something like, like that. that. I think they said he was between 30 and 33 months. Yeah. And he starts wandering off to the road, which is going to be a big deal later on down the line. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean if you take a toddler and leave them unattended, they'll wander off? I don't know why that shit would even happen. (laughs) That doesn't make sense. Lies. All lies. (laughs) But suddenly they're like, oh my God, where's the baby? Which is the thing they say more than once, unfortunately. They're really the worst. (laughs) Not the amount. They're the worst. Parents of the year. Travis is like poster child for helicopter parent. With I am not. Yeah, you are. Right as they see where the baby is, one of those Rinko trucks blasts the fuck by. But luckily, Gage is scooped up at the last minute. By Herman Munster. By Judd Crandall, played by Fred Gwynn. Everybody's, oh, you know, they're thankful he's safe or whatever. And they get to know each other for a minute. And then they start asking him about, what's this path that's behind her house? And he's like, oh, it's got a long story and I'll have to tell you about it sometime. You're looking at me like you're about to say something. No, I'm just waiting for you to get done. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, good story, it's a good walk, we'll have to tell you about it sometime. And I just, I I don't know how everybody else feels about it, but I actually really liked his main accent. Loved it. I thought he did very well. I was just thinking about that. I think he did it really well. Yeah. I haven't met a lot of people from Maine. I've met no one exactly. I've met precisely zero people from Maine, but he's actually from New York and I didn't get any of that. Yeah. I'm just but thinking if just you from through... reading King's books and how he writes the Maine accent, this guy sounded good. If I were to imagine a person talking in a Maine accent, that would be it right That's there. That's exactly it. I was just it. thinking you have so many of King's books where he's doing that, like he has it written out what they're saying. And so to actually hear it, it's 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 just strange. Like the way Judd will say, ah, yeah, or... <laughs> That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, or rad. <laughs> so... 
He, I just, I thought he did very well. So later on that night when the kids have been put to bed and everything, I guess Lewis decides he's curious about Judd and decides he's going to walk over. And, but not before getting one of the first of many jump scares in this movie is, is uh, we see Church jump into the tree, scares the shit out of Lewis. But nonetheless, he goes and he walks on to Judd's house. You know, they sit there, they have a beer and they get on the subject of maybe you need to get church fixed because a fixed cat tends to wonder less. And that's basically it. It's it's not anything of really great importance, just setting us up for stuff for later. And then the next day we meet the character of Missy. I think I think Rachel doesn't know what to think about her because she's a very odd person. Yeah, she's an odd duck for sure. She's talking about I always thought it'd be great to marry a doctor because of my stomach pains. Guess I'll never be lucky. For <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Rachel's taken aback. She's just like, bye. <laughs> Whatever. But then we end up getting to the point where we do actually get to go on the proper hike to the cemetery. And once they get there, we can already sense that Rachel is very uncomfortable with what they're doing. And Ellie, I believe Ellie asked why cemetery is spelled wrong because it says pet cemetery or what is it? What is that word or something like that? And she says it's misspelled, but that's what it is. And they get there. I, I feel like it was more fleshed out in the novel than what it is in the movie because you just get her suddenly being a bitch out of nowhere and you're and you don't really get it. But Ellie goes in and she's you know looking at the headstones and she's having a great time. And then Judd asks her if she knows what a cemetery really is, and she says, "No, I guess not." And he says, "It's where the dead speak." And of course she goes, <gasps> and he's like, he he laughs and he's like, "No, they don't speak out loud. They're stone speak." And then he's telling her, "Cemetery's not a place to be afraid of. It's a place of rest." She, and Rachel says something like, it's filled with heartbroken children or some shit like that. She's very judgmental. Yeah, she's very pissed off. And then she's like, can I have the baby? And she takes the baby out of the backpack pouch thing that Lewis is wearing. And Judd kind of looks at her like, what's wrong with your bitch? And <laughs> Lewis kind of looks at him like, I don't fucking know, man. She's always like this. They don't really set it up as to why she's such a bitch, but she really comes off very uppity and judgmental just bitchy and pissed off the whole time from the really from the start yeah and I felt like she wasn't really terribly likable in the movie like in the book there's much more affection that goes on between her and Lewis I think there's a couple of love scenes whatever you call them between them even and in this one she's just so cold and that's you know, a perfect at no word point, is cold. Yeah, no point in this do they make her a sympathetic character, really. I, know, I don't feel like it. I mean, even when they, they go on later to talk about the situation with her and her sister Zelda, I don't know. I, to me, it just doesn't excuse her behavior. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know if I'd go that far, because once you find out what happened with Zelda, you're like, that's really fucked up. But well, but if that's the case, then we need that explanation a little bit earlier so that you, in your mind, can justify her being the way she is. Right. And I don't know, I mean, maybe that would explain sort of the bitchiness, but it never really explains why she doesn't want her kids to know anything about death at all, because that's a big, and what happens after, because, you know, she gets very upset about that when, when Lewis is trying to explain how he feels about it. But now, is this the point where they're in the pet cemetery, where Judd talks about his dog Spot? Yes, like he died in so 1924 or some shit wasn't like that. Spot the name of the dragon that lived under the staircase in the Munsters? I don't know. I'm not as versed on the Munsters. Pretty sure it was. But Wait I for the Rob Zombie version. <laughs> so later that night, as Lewis is sitting on the couch, Ellie comes up to him and she's basically like, 
I, what if church dies? I don't want him to go to the pet cemetery. And he's telling her, church is not going to die for a long time. Probably you'll be in college before he dies. And she, she gives this really cute thing about it's my cat. God, get his own cat if he wants one. Not mine. Not mine. Sorry, Ellie's (laughs) bless her. She's so fucking annoying. She is extremely (laughs) annoying (laughs) the whole movie. She really is. So much so that the next day at breakfast, she's sitting and doing it again. She's basically like, what if this school's not the same as my old school? I don't want to move here. I want to go home. And and meanwhile, Gage is just living his best life, throwing food at the cat, throwing food at Ellie. I just, I have to say that Miko Hughes at that age was so fucking adorable. <laughs> Completely adorable. And it makes you kind of wonder, like, how much of that, like, him throwing food and shit was scripted? Or did they just put him in a high chair with a plate and let him go to town? I'm sure that he was just doing that. I think, and I think that's great. And then out of nowhere, as Lewis is entering the kitchen, she says, I don't want Church to get his nuts cut, Daddy. And he starts laughing. He's like, where did you hear that? She's, Missy? She says it's an operation. And then he starts telling her that Church is going to be fine, just explaining that it's a simple procedure. And then she's like, you promise? And to which Rachel does the shittiest fucking thing I can imagine, where she says, don't shilly-shally, Lewis, make the little girl promise. And then he's like, reluctantly, I promise, or whatever, as he's going to work, which I heard, I'm not gonna call the people out, but their review, they basically said Lewis was being an asshole. And I don't agree. I think what Rachel did was so shitty, putting Lewis on the spot like that, because... Like he tells Rachel, you know, one in a million shot that anything's going to happen, but it does happen. You get to be the one to explain it to her. And I don't think, I mean, maybe he could have come put it a little softer to her, but that was a shitty thing that she did to him. I, I wouldn't do that. Well, as bitchy as she is at him for the whole movie and it's cold, it's kind of excusable if he was ever like slightly angry sounding in a way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can kind of sympathize with the yeah. guy if he sort of snapped back a little bit. Because, yeah. Because throughout most of the movie, he's just like he just takes going it. with it. Yeah. 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 Because what what does happen if something had happened to church and then what do you have then? You have a kid that's like, you promised me he was going to be okay. You made that promise. And then you have a kid that's pissed off at you. Yeah. At any rate, as he's leaving, uh, Missy shows up for work and he asks her how she's doing and she's saying that her stomach pains are giving her problems. And he's like, well, I, I can take a look at that for you if you want. And she's like, no, basically, like, I'll I'll manage it. She I says always, it'll pass. Yeah, it'll pass. And then Rachel comes out with Gage. And that, that also feels wrong somehow, too, that she took the baby out. Like, look at the baby. We love you and all that. Like, I don't know. Like, he was a, a chip somehow. I, I don't know. That's just how it came across a chip? to me. Like a bargaining chip or yeah. like Lay's? <laughs> like a bargaining chip. Like, like did you leverage. just compare a child to a Pringle? Is that <laughs> what <know>. you did? <laughs> like, I have your baby. I'm the mother of your child. You can't be mad at me. That's, I don't know. I could be wrong. That's just how it came across. But at any rate, she asks if everything's okay between them. And then they're kind of over it. And then Gage again, oh my God. And he's like, I kissed you. And they spy daddy. And it's adorable. And then we get to him going to his first day of work. Although it doesn't start that way. It starts with just chaos right out of the bat. As all these students are flooding around the school. They're carrying a body with them and they're like oh my god this kid got hit by a truck and stuff and they get him in i guess what would be the exam room or whatever i don't no, really like know a, how college hospital like a triage works room. yeah 
but I don't know what they thought he was going to do. His brain was hanging out. Yeah, yeah. So he he dies ultimately. He was already dead when they brought him in. I would think so, yeah. I think when half your brain's exposed to air and it's not part of a medical procedure, like if it's if it's a medical procedure that was performed by an 18-wheeler, you're probably dead at that point. Yeah, because, I mean, he would and have to be. these are medical professionals. They should have known that. <laughs> he would have to be because the next scene, the next thing he does doesn't make any sense. No, I'm talking about all the nurses and shit. They went wheeling him in there wanting him to fix him. Like, it's not a broken toy. Where's the super glue? That's not how that shit works. Yeah. But as Lewis is sitting with him after the fact, he's he's commenting on, I told Rachel not so much as a sprain today. And then out of nowhere, Pascal just like, I don't want to say he jumps up, but he just like grabs a hold of him or something. Surprise, motherfucker. Exactly. Exactly. And he says, the soil of a man's heart is stonier, Lewis. And Lewis is not like, oh my God, how is this guy walk talking or anything? He's just like, how did you know my name? <laughs> Never mind that a dead person just talked to you. I know. <laughs> that's not the weirdest thing that's happened today. Yeah, or that he's like got blood that's splattered all Are over. Are we sure everything. that Romero wasn't part of this at least a little bit? <laughs> so later that night as Lewis is sleeping in bed, we just see, it's not even a jump scare really. I mean, I think it's supposed to be, but then we just see Pascal suddenly next to his bed and Lewis doesn't freak out or scream or anything. He just looks at him like, oh yeah, there's a dead person next to my bed. But at any rate, Pascal's like, come on, Doc, we got places to go. And so I I don't know what's going through. I mean, I think I know what's going through Lewis's mind. Like, this can't be real. So he's not treating it with any importance. But when he hesitates, Pascal's like, come on, Doc, don't make me tell you twice. And so he gets up and he starts following him. And Did he get folded in half by Freddy on a bed immediately (laughs) after that? Not in this movie. Damn. <laughs> but they do eventually end up at the pet cemetery. Sorry, small correction. I said Freddy, it's Jason. <laughs> Jason folded him in half. I'm sure that's what people are thinking. You didn't about even right catch now. that. Continue. <laughs> but they get there and Lewis is like, he's kind of panicking at this point. He's saying, I don't like this dream. And Pascal's like, who said you were dreaming? And then he's like, I just want to wake up. I just want to wake up. And Pascal starts to tell him, no matter what happens is like this is the place where the dead speak do not go on to the place where the dead walk and lewis is just i don't i don't want it so i thought you died you're as good as dead when they brought you in which ouch (laughs) shitty but yeah he's basically just reduced to a little girl crying on the ground but then we cut to him waking up the next day so okay just to backpack backtrack just a little bit to backpack to backpack you want to be my backpack while i run yes and (laughs) you won't be able to carry this backpack (laughs) Okay, so when they were in Pet Cemetery before with Judd, uh-huh. you hear like a scream in the distance, and he did wasn't that it? And he said it was a loon. That's not till they go to Barry Church, and then doesn't he hear it in that scene as well, where he's there with Pascal? You hear like an animal. Maybe cry. you do. I mean, sure, you get some ambient. And sound. I've read somewhere that that was intended to like be a Wendigo. Yes, yes. At some point, but they never flesh that out in the movie. It's not in the movie at all. It, it's there's several things that are rearranged, cut out, or told differently in the film. And well, the Wendigo was actually a bigger part of the book, very larger part of the book. And they really go into describing the sounds and kind of the, a little bit of the lore to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, in the movie, I don't really remember them kind of referencing this is what this would be. Well, there's also the thing is when you go over the deadfall and you're going over to the burial ground, there's that presence that's behind you the whole time. Like something's there with you. You can feel it behind you. You can feel it breathing on you, but it's you never see it and then yeah in the movie you hear it well, I, I guess that's what I was thinking is it, 
in the book, and I haven't read the book, but what I read about that was that that part of Native American folklore was originally, was, it was a much larger portion of the book, and they just sort of cherry-picked a couple of components out of it and put yeah. it in the movie. Yeah, more yes. or less. Which is kind of disappointing, because I would have loved to see that. There's not enough Wendigo stuff out there, I mean, to me. I, I know Aiden's a really big fan of that cryptid, and there's just... Well, Antlers is up right now. Yeah, I know. I'm... I think that's supposed to be a Wendigo thing. I know he's really so have to... been wanting to watch it. We're going to have to watch that. Yeah. We'll have a bro night. <laughs> I guess so. I, as much of a horror fan as I am, cryptids are not really my thing. And I feel so bad because I know a lot of my friends, especially in Podmortem community, they're really big fans and it's just never been my thing. So uh, I think I grew up with the Chupacabra. Maybe <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> and I won't even go into that story. So, but don't ever ask my granny if she believes in Chupacabra unless you just really want to open that can of worms. Okay, moving on. <laughs> so at any rate, like I said we cut from Lewis laying on the ground in the cemetery to him waking up in bed the next morning to the sound of the kids and their laughter and all that. And he goes to throw the blankets off and we see that his feet are covered in mud in sticks and grass and all that. So I think he's realizing then like, okay, that was, this is not a dream. This is really happening. <laughs> And you know what? When he has that realization, he handles it really well. He handles it way better than I would Like, he's just like, meh, I'm gonna go get some cereal. Yeah. Yeah, he looks at his feet, like, well, ain't that a bitch, and gets up and goes on with his day. I don't he think just wads how... up the sheets and gets a shower, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's how I would have handled that, personally. And then once we get to work, he pulls Pascal's file to throw it away. Is that even allowed? I mean, even if they're dead, can you just throw away a patient's file like that? I don't, I don't know why he felt like he would need to go full Enron on that. Just because... <laughs> Like the guy's dead, and it wasn't We're his fault. Sorry. It wasn't like it wasn't his fault. It wasn't a malpractice thing. That just didn't make sense. Yeah. Did he think that by throwing away the paper that the ghost would stop coming to his house? Out of sight, out of mind, buddy. Uh, maybe it just didn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, like it didn't kind make of a sense. Pointless to me action. Is that how it was in the book? Did he do that in the book? I don't. I don't recall. But it, it, at any rate, it seems like in a place like that, you'd probably have to hang on to the patient's file for at least a year or two, I, something I like that. Think, Not just immediately toss. <laughs> yeah. I think that patient files are part of your permanent record. They don't ever get thrown away. <laughs> and so I guess after after this incident. And things are uneventful for a while because we go through this kind of time shift where it's no longer Thanksgiving or it's no longer Halloween. It's Thanksgiving because Ellie's changing out some artwork in the window. And we see that there are a bunch of bags in the living room and Lewis is playing with, with Gage. And El Ellie, Rachel comes in and is telling him, I don't know why you won't go with us. I really want you to go. And he's like, well, as far as your dad's concerned, I'm never going to be a member of the family. And she's like, but I want you to be there. And he's like, I'll be right here when you get back. And so they take off. And later on, and this is kind of where the shit kicks off, later on he gets a phone call from Judd and he's saying, there's a dead cat over here. <laughs> I think it might be your cat. <laughs> I'm sorry. You do that so well. <laughs> Probably not. That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> like, did you, did you stand in the mirror and practice that? I know I didn't. I didn't. So... He, he gets that look that all of us get when you get a phone call with that kind of news. You're like, shit. So he walks over there and I actually really fucking love this shot of the movie. I thought it was really well done where he walks up and Judd's wearing this big fur lined hood and he just looks very ominous and scary like he's father death or some shit. But it's okay. So that's not where I went with that. Okay. Well, I thought at any minute he and Kurt any Russell, minute? you watch your mouth. <laughs> 
any minute now, Kurt Russell's going to show up and they're going to go kill the thing. Oh my god. <laughs> no one trusts each other anymore. I can't even quote the fucking movie I love. No one trusts each other anymore. But at any rate, he sees the body of Church lying on the ground. And when he, for some reason, he's like, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I will admit that Dale Midkiff's line delivery is not always the best in this movie. Because he's like... I like how politically correct you phrase that. What do you mean? that it just it wasn't the best you were very kind that's because i still like him so but his line delivery of yeah that's church all right it's <laughs> pretty funny to me but uh, that's, that's the same reaction he would have had if he like opened his lunchbox and went in the peanut butter again <laughs> But when they go to pick up church off the ground, oh, the sound design too, because it's just like Velcro. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When he pulls it up off the ground, Velcroed that cat to the ground. (laughs) So Judd asks Lewis what he intends to do, and he's like, "Well, I guess I'll bury it, and if Ellie calls, I'll just tell her I haven't seen the cat anywhere." And Judd tells him, "Maybe there's a better way." Okay, I'm gonna stop anytime now. I promise. (laughs) Please don't. I I really. I'm wondering how I missed the practice <laughs> sessions for this. <laughs> Have you been wandering around the house while I'm at work just you know, honestly, practicing your Judd impression? <laughs> honestly, I just keep thinking of that episode of South Park where the kids ended up taking over the town. Do you remember that one? They had like the whole Children of the Corn thing and then you had a Judd Crandall character. I, was I remember there being a Judd Crandall character, <laughs> but where he talked like that exactly like Doug that. Doug got on that road. He kind of sounds like Forrest Gump a little bit. Or maybe I just sell like Forrest Gump. <laughs> anyway, so we cut to them getting going back to Pet Cemetery, and Lewis thinks that's that's where they're going, and he tells them, "No, the place we're going is on the other side of this deadfall." And he's like, "We can't climb up that. We're gonna break our necks." And he's like, "He's giving them the spill, you know. Don't look down. Don't stop. Keep moving. Step where I step. Step where I step. Yeah." And they start going up this deadfall, and Judd, uh, not Judd, uh, Lewis, of course, does the thing that Judd tells him not to do, and he stops and looks down. <laughs> And then falls off the deadfall. I I think uh, on the other side of it, though, not the side they started from. And he goes over there and he's like, oh, I guess I just lost my happy thoughts there for a minute. Which I guess Judd wasn't in on the joke because he looks at him like, what? Like, come on, dude. <laughs> yeah, Judd gives him like, did you hit your head real hard? Kind of <laughs> yeah. look. So they get over to the barrel ground and this, I, I don't know. I never understood this whole rule. So they get there and Judd's like, be careful. The soil's thin. I'd help you, but each man has to bury his own. And I never understood that whole thing. Like, I, it just seemed like a dick thing to do because Judd just like pulls out a cigarette, like, good luck to you. <laughs> and we see uh, Lewis go down with this pickaxe or whatever. And of course he wasn't wrong because it's just like solid rock under there. Well, and doesn't, doesn't Judd tell him the same thing that Pascal told him before he died or right after he died? A man's heart is stonier. Well, later, this is, that's after the fact when they get okay. back. You're jumping too far ahead. I thought this Didn't was Didn't you the watch part. the movie? Yeah. We watched a movie. Well, okay, so let's let's clarify. You watched a movie, <laughs> and I was there while you did it. Yeah. So because the soil is so fucking horrible, it takes, like, it feels like the entire fucking day to bury this cat, because it's nightfall by the time they get him down there, and they walk back, and we can hear that the phone is starting to ring, and Lewis uh, misses the call. But when Judd catches up to him, he's like, you don't tell anybody about what we did. And he's like, what did we do? It's, just, it's again, it's another funny line delivery. What did we do tonight, Judd? So Okay, so am I the only one? 
who got like a little nostalgic for a, a landline during that scene. Oh, the like when your phone didn't follow you around in your pocket all day. The old school ringing sound. Yeah, and you, could you just, had to run to. Yeah, that is to, my ringtone still. Like I have, yeah, my cell phone. Or and like I have it no, set to but that. I mean like there was no caller ID, so you didn't know who it was that you didn't want to talk to. You just <laughs> didn't answer the phone. Pretty sure he knew who it was though. Well, maybe he did, but just saying. Which was why he was running. Well, just the fact that you didn't have to pull it out of your pocket. You just you actually had to. I mean. It's not like you when I'm calling, you're like, fuck, it's my wife. No, no, no. (laughs) I guess what I'm thinking is it's more like back then when that's all there was before cell phones. If someone called and you were like, I don't want to talk to anybody today, you just didn't answer the phone. And right. you ran into them later, you're just like, well, I wasn't home. I stepped out for a little bit. But now it's in your pocket. They know it's in your pocket. Yeah, they I'm really bad about that. you just ignored the fuck out of them. Yeah, I'm really bad about that. Like, when I'm trying to get a hold of my sister or something and I'm like, dude, I know you got your fucking phone. You're sitting there playing on it. God it's probably it. in your hand. You're yeah. looking at it right now. <laughs> But see, when there were nothing but home phones, you had deniability. Yeah, that's true. You could always say, I was in the bathroom. I was out in the yard. I ran to the store. You could make up any lie you wanted about not, not why I'm you didn't answer the phone. I'm very nervous about your treatment toward me. Hmm? Huh? What? <laughs> I answer, you would never. I, I answer the phone every time you call. <laughs> Except when I don't. But he tells him what they did was a secret. And then he's going on about how women are usually the ones who keep secrets, but men actually probably have more secrets than women, which made me go, hmm, is that so? He says the same thing Lewis told, or not Lewis, God damn it. Pascal. He says the same thing Pascal told him in the hospital. The soil of a man's heart is stonier, which Lewis automatically has a flashback of Pascal's face. And then he, once Judd is gone, then he calls his family back. And first one on the phone is Ellie. And of course, of course she asks, how's church? And he's like, I don't know. I haven't seen him all day. And then she's like, well, don't forget to, she tells him, don't forget to do something so he doesn't run out in the road and give him a kiss goodnight for me. And he says, yeah, kiss your own cat, which is, it's pretty cute. Even though, again, bad line delivery, but it's still cute. And then this part breaks my heart so much. She's like, you want to talk to Gage? And she puts Gage on the phone and he's like, hi, daddy, I love you. And he says nothing back to him. So he says again, hi, daddy, I love you. And I'm like, answer the goddamn kid! I don't know. It's just I thought it was sad. A little well, bit. I think that's because we we missed the time when our little ones would do that, and now two out of three are teenagers. And I think Isabel will still do that. She she would, but the other two are just like, what? What do you want? Yeah, pretty much. They're like church. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they only pop out to scare us and be a dick, and occasionally throw a rat at us when we're in the bathtub. Yeah. So realistically, then we have three dogs, one child, and two cats. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> So the next day we get some very convincing rake <laughs> rake leaving. <laughs> we get some very convincing leaf raking because you remember he's just kind of he's kind of half-hearted doing it like he's not really raking anything up he's just kind of moving them around. He's just like I'm gonna move them over here and then <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna move them over there and then I'll move them back to over here. So, but I guess he realized I need something better for raking leaves. I don't I don't know what the excuse was, but he goes into the garage and out of nowhere church pops out. And so of course this scares him to death and church runs off. So he comes out a few minutes later with a bowl of cat food and he's like, food church and church ends up running to him, which if you're a dead cat, do you still eat cat food? I wouldn't think you'd want to eat. But... Do you feast for like virgin blood or something? Like I, I don't know what that Zombie looks cat. like. Brains. <laughs> Brains, exactly. Brains. <laughs> 
But he, once Church comes up to him, he picks him up to examine the body and he's just like, oh, ah, unbelievable. I think he's like, Jesus walking Christ or something like that. And he notices that Church chewed his way out of his grave, which... Oh, he has like little bits of the black trash bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what he notices, yes. Yeah, and then he's just like, ah. And then Church lunges at him and claws him right down the side of what... Uh, I don't know that that's abnormal cat behavior. Don't they kind of do that anyway? Yes. I, I don't know. My experience with cats is very limited, but what cats we did have, they were dicks, for sure. So after that, then he's at Judd's and he's saying, I'm trying, I've convinced myself that we buried him alive. And Judd's like, uh, no. Like when we, when we picked him up, he peeled off the ground and he made the sound of ticky tape coming off of a letter. And he's like, I'm not a vet, you know? And he was saying his head swiveled, like it had ball bearings in it. And Lewis is like, well, I feel like I'm going crazy. And at this point... Okay, I'm not trying to say that there are no redeemable characters, but another dick thing that happens is that Judd uses this opportunity to tell him what really happened to his dog Spot. I'm thinking maybe you should have led with that before you go bury the cat. I was, I never understood that. You should, like, give him a choice. Like, hey, this might happen. We could do this if you wanted to. Yeah. Instead of, one, you bury, well, you have him bury the cat while you stand there smoking, and then you get back and you still tell him nothing about what happened so that you can be scared to death when you see the cat the next day. Yeah. Like, at least tell him when you get back. Like, what to expect? It's like, it's like he's going through this hamper of dirty clothes. Like, top of the pile, not so bad. You get to the middle of it with the spot story and it's like, oh, this is kind of rank in here. And then you get to the bottom, which is the Timmy Bateman story. It's like, yes. oh my god, like, it's the worst down here. Like, seems like he should have told him all of these things to begin with. And then another thing to point out is there's a huge difference in the movie here than there is with the book because Judd doesn't point him to the pet cemetery for just the goodness of his heart, Ellie, him not wanting Ellie to learn about death and losing her cat. It's actually because in the novel, Judd is married and I believe his wife has a stroke or heart attack or something like that. And Lewis ends up saving her life. And so then he feels obligated once Church is dead to tell him about it, like as a way to show his gratitude. He also at some point mentions that it's like once you've buried something there, you, it like pulls at you to want mm-hmm. to tell mm-hmm. someone else about it, to want to do it again. To it's There's like a weird energy there that's like compels you to yeah. have it happen again. And they do touch on it a little bit in the movie later with Gage, spoiler alert but yeah there is that thing where it almost feels like it's fate mm-hmm. like like all of this shit was meant to happen for some reason and he tells him the story spot how his dog got caught in barbed wire and so he had a man and he believed he was part micmac or something like that which was how he knew about the burial ground and he t- has bleh, he told him about the cemetery but when his dog came back it was not the same same dog he came back aggressive and looks like he's gonna attack Judd's mother and then she tells him him, fuck, what was it? Like, come get your dog. He stinks up the ground. You buried him in. Mm-hmm. And then Lewis asks him, has anybody ever buried a person up there? <laughs> he acts so offended that he even asked. <laughs> he, like, knocks over a bear. Christ on his throne now. Like... Whoever won. And so automatically right there, you're going, well, that's, you know, 
That was a very strong reaction. Now, in the book, I might be dreaming this, but wasn't there another story about possibly like that someone buried, it was like a cow or a bull or something like that. Yes, it was. It was like an ox or some shit. Yes, it was something like that. And it's like it came when it, because it was like, you know, one, how did he get it up there is what they were, everybody (laughs) was trying to figure out. But then, yeah, once he, it comes back and of course it's super aggressive and I think like runs through town or something crazy like that. Yeah, something like that. But I don't remember either. God, he's been so fucking long. I know. I should have read it in preparation, but, (laughs) but... Later it just on. shows you that there's several, sorry, there's no, several instances that he even knows of, of people that have buried something and they've come back and he haven't told you one good story yet about how it was a exactly. good thing. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And allegedly there was supposed to be, I guess, a story in there at some point that Judd tells about a dog in a neighboring town that went on a rampage and that was supposed to be a call out to Cujo. Oh, okay. But it didn't make it. Yeah. But later on that night, Luce is going to have himself a relaxing bath, and this time they're not afraid to show him with his shirt off. (laughs) He slips into the bath to relax. It is a thing where you take the washcloth, put it over your face. I've never done that, but I I think... I do it a lot, but now I'm scared to when I think about it. (laughs) You're afraid that you're going to get a dead rat thrown at you? Because that's exactly what happens. Just as he's starting to relax, we see a dead rat fly into the bathtub, and Lewis, I, his his reaction is not my reaction. What well, my reaction would be because he picks it up and throws it out, which I would not do. I, I don't know. It'd be like that episode of Family Guy where there was the dead frog and he's trying to pick it up with the lid of a shoebox and it kept flopping around. But that would be me. I would like get out of there first, then shoo the cat out, then drain the tub and pick it up with something else. Ugh, so fucking gross. Because after the fact, when the rat is on the floor of the bathtub and he shoes uh, church out that he steps right down on it. Ah! Ooh, so fucking nasty. <laughs> and it doesn't give a specific on how much time has passed, but eventually uh, his family does return. They come back to the airport and Ellie, of course, asks the question again, is church is church all right? Because I had a dream about him and he's like, oh, he's fine. That, that was a silly dream that you were having. But later on is Ellie's I guess getting ready for bed. Then she's letting church in outside and she says, you pew, you smell bad. And then she goes over and asks, do cats have shampoos? And Rachel, you know, of course she doesn't know anything, but Lewis looks at her like, or he has that look on his face like, oh shit. And Rachel tells her, yeah, but I think you have to take him to a groomer and that can be pretty expensive. And she says, well, I don't care. I'll save up my allowance because he stinks. And then after that, we get to a scene that doesn't entirely make sense to me because it doesn't have really any payoff or get brought up again even, but that's the suicide of Missy. Now, I believe when I was a kid, this was the first suicide I ever saw in a movie and didn't understand because, you know, I didn't get the whole thing with the stomach pains and I don't guess we ever find out what that was exactly, if it's like stomach cancer or... I would just assume it was stomach cancer, but yeah, yeah, they don't really explain a lot of that. Yeah, and then we get to the part Travis is talking about, which is Missy's funeral, where we have the Honorable Stephen King residing It sounds like a courtroom, but... (laughs) But um, he's saying this prayer, which I have heard so many times uh, in the days where I used to go to church, but the pastor we had at the time would say this very same passage, may the Lord bless you, keep you, something, his light to shine upon you or whatever. But I remembered it because I was like, oh, our pastor said that, yuck. But... (laughs) 
<laughs> but once the funeral's over, Judd asks why Rachel didn't attend the funeral. And I love this part because then Ellie's like spilling all the fucking tea. She's like, she's in bed throwing up <laughs> ever since they called and said what happened. And Lou's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> she's her <laughs> way. And then Judd asks, um, well, they have, I don't know, they have this kind of weird, creepy exchange. Something about, I wonder why he takes people like Missy and then leaves old people like me. And he said, and Lewis says, my dad had a saying, God sees the truth, but waits. And I don't get what that means. I don't know. Yeah, I was, I just thought it was really weird. Like, it feels ominous, but I don't exactly know what it translates to. But at any rate, Judd asks him how his cat is doing. And he says, you mean Ellie's cat? And he's like, no, it's your cat now. You are really, <laughs> really taking advantage of that now. <laughs> Here we go. So later on that night, as uh, Lewis is sitting watching TV, Ellie goes over and asks if he think that thinks that Ellie. God damn it! I can't get anyone's name right. Like I could do all these other things with perfection, and some reason I can't keep anybody's name straight. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to my world. And believe it or not, I've had nothing to drink. Maybe it's the maybe it's the Benadryl. Oh no! I, I said Zyrtec was sponsoring us, didn't I? <laughs> Get your medicine straight. <laughs> Get your medicine straight. But Ellie asked Lewis if he thinks that Missy went to heaven. And Lewis is saying that different people believe different things about what happens to us once we die. He talks about reincarnation, about how some people think that once we're once we're gone, we're gone. That's it. And we see that Rachel is kind of eavesdropping in the kitchen. And Ellie asks Lewis, what does he think happens? And he looks over at church very ominously. And he says, I think we go on. But then his expression softens and he smiles and he says yeah i have faith in that and she's like you believe in it it's like it's very cute and that that's actually one of one of the scenes that i find really sweet between the two of them and then later on that night um as he's in bed rachel comes in and she says i overheard you guys talking and he said yeah i thought you might have but and i know you don't approve of the subject and then this is where we go on to learn what happened to rachel and why she has the views on death that she has. And why she is so cold and angry and messed up. <laughs> yeah. And and I know what Travis said earlier, but I hard disagree because if we think that these parents are bad because they can't keep up with their fucking kids, her parents take that to a whole other fucking level. Yes. So she basically tells him the story of her older sister, Zelda. And then I don't think they ever specify how old Zelda was, but there's a pretty big gap between the two of them. Yeah. But she had spinal meningitis. And for some reason, her parents left her alone to tend to Zelda one night, probably to go to those rich white people parties where they're drinking and all that shit, I only assume. I swear that's what it was. I don't know if it was book or movie related, but I do know this. Yeah, they were going to a party or something like that. And so she had to stay and take care of her. Yeah, and it's really fucked up because they have her, like, I guess on this other end of their house, basically to herself, where she's kind of contorting and getting crazy and just sicker and, like, she doesn't even look like a human anymore. She looks like a monster and her back's all fucked up, which, shout out to the practical effects people on that, because she's scary as... Terrifying. Yeah, and she had... And poor Rachel is tasked 
to feed her. And for some reason, she starts choking and she's saying, when my parents get home, they're going to blame me. They're going to say, you wanted her dead. You wanted her to die by choking. And she's saying, and all that's true. I did want her dead because it wasn't so she wouldn't have any more pains, but that we wouldn't have any more pain. And once Zelda gets to the point where she's dying or dead, then Rachel goes running out of the house past these kids and she's screaming, Zelda's dead, Zelda's dead. And she says, and at the time I thought I was crying, but I think that maybe I was laughing. And that is so fucked up. It's so powerful. I know. I'm getting chills right now, dude. Like, that part is fucked up. And Lewis is like, well, if I didn't hate your parents before, I fucking hate them now. He's like, what kind of people would leave, I think she's seven or eight, right? Leave an eight-year-old kid to watch their invalid sister, who is probably clinically insane at that point. And then he tells her she's going to take a Valium. And she's like, "I, you know, I don't take that. And he's like, tonight you do. And I'm like, yeah, I think she's earned it. Because how do you not have that memory in your mind? And Constantly. just, the God, oh, I couldn't even imagine. Honey, I just want to say that you're sitting here like me and Mary are the only two people in the room. No, yeah. you're good. I figured you're when good. we started talking about Zelda, you were at least going to start coming over here. No. Oh, no, you're fine. I was waiting for Ashley to breathe. <laughs> and then, and I, I know I keep saying with every scene, and then, and then, and it's because this movie progressively gets worse. Like, you don't think it could get any worse, and then it just gradually gets fucking worse. Because the next day, we see that the family's kind of having a picnic in their yard, and they're flying kites, and this Orinko truck has peeled out of its, what do you call it, yard or whatever. Yeah. Is yeah. distri- distribution center or whatever. And this guy is like living his best life, going down the road. He's listening to the Ramones. And I know when I listen to the Ramones, I'm singing and carrying on myself. So, I mean, who can blame the guy? And the Ramones you, for you, happy mood. Did you notice the truck number? 666. Mm-hmm. I did. After yeah. I pointed it out. After you guess. pointed it out, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I know that now. <laughs> and I believe the second one also has the same number. Yeah, it does. Yeah, but... They're they're flying and they're having like this really perfect day and it, it almost feels telegraphed in a way that you're going, this day is so perfect. How could, it, you know, anything bad happen? It almost has like a dreamy haze it does. to it where you're it like, does. oh, it's this perfect dreamlike day that, you know, just... It, it's it's very bright. Weird. Yes. Yeah. Like, everything is way too perfect. It it does feel dreamlike now that you're telling me that. Wow. I'm going to watch that differently now. But as we they decide to let Gage fly, fly the kite and he's, and he, I know, I know Mary's already over here. <laughs> Her face is scrunching up. <laughs> and it's so fucking adorable because he's like, we got it. I'm flying it. And it's so fucking cute. And then he drops the spool. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And Ellie actually cracks me up here because she's like, he let it go, the numb shit. <laughs> and so everybody's cracking up over that. Understandably, we would be laughing too if it were us. But Lewis is distracted because of that. And he's telling her she'll get a turn in a minute. And then Rachel's like, I want a turn. And they're all, ah, ha, 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 ha. Life is so perfect, isn't it? And then we hear the truck. And I think Judd's the first one to alert to it. I believe like, so. Like he jumps up first and he's like, Lewis, don't let him go on the road. And then Rachel, not being helpful at all, just keeps screaming over and over, get the baby, get the baby. And we see Lewis like dart straight for him, which 
how a two-year-old is faster than a grown-ass man with longer okay, legs? Okay, wait a minute. You know exactly how they're faster. You've tried to catch a toddler to, for, at bath time, haven't well, you? Well, I was thinking about more like when they have something they're not supposed to. Yes. What have you got? A knife! No! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know exactly how fast they are. They're like the Flash. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'll give you that. But you're sitting there and you're already panicking like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And even though you know it's coming and you've seen it a hundred times, you're still sitting there like, please, baby, this time, maybe this time. And he ends up tripping, falling just short of him. I think he barely misses him. And then, oh my god, oh my god. Then we just see this close up of Gage's face and then the truck creams him. And then the next thing we see is this little red shoe rolling down the road. And then the boom. Oh boom, my god. Boom of the memories pictures. Yes. So my bitch right here is I have heard reviewer after reviewer after reviewer say that Dale Midkiff overacted this scene. I would n- I've heard that, but I would never agree what with What the fuck is that opinion? Like, I just don't get it. Mm-hmm. I might have behaved worse. Yes. Like, I might, have been, I might have been like that lady in Don't Be a Menace when she thought her kid was dead and she's rolling down the road, like, slapping her shoe. And, like. See, I always go to Hereditary. Yeah. Where she is just wailing in the floor. Yes. Saying, I want to die. I want to die. It hurts yes. so bad. Like, that's to me, is like one of the most, like, realistic in my mind mind scenarios of that so this whole like there's so many times you see people in movies and they're like oh i'm so sad my kid's dead and you're like what the hell is wrong with you why are you why aren't you more upset about this yeah why are you dealing with this okay i mean it's not like i'm like what did you expect lewis to do just like be shoveling hay in the next scene going wrong kid dad (laughs) wrong kid dad wrong kid dad (laughs) i just Because, yeah, his, to me, his reaction is so fucking heartbreaking. And then, like you said, you have those flashes of the pictures hitting and it's just fucked. Because I know even for me, if I'm just going through my Facebook memories and there's like a video of Isabel waving bye for the first time or saying her first word and you're sitting there like, oh, I would think that, yeah, when you lose a kid, all of those, your life is going to be, or your kid's life is going to be flashing in front of your eyes. So I just, oh. I just think it's like the perfect little scene as far as how they do the flashing after he's screamed and all that. It just, to me, it's just wrapped up perfectly. So Travis, I'm pulling out my notepad now. How did this make you feel? What part? <laughs> Y'all kind of teed off on talking to us to kind of stop listening. Oh. <laughs> how did the scene make you feel? Did you think he was overacting? Did you feel like it was an I don't, appropriate amount? I don't know how you capture an appropriate reaction to something like that that's pretty rough i don't i don't know what i would do like that's a really hard scene to watch thinking about losing a child i don't know how i would react like would you would you be able to scream would you be in so much shock that you just shut down that's good would you just stand in the road till the next truck came i I don't know i don't know how you would that's another really good point (laughs) how do you deal with that yeah that would be i don't know i don't necessarily feel like you overacted because i don't know what the appropriate reaction to that is yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I don't want to say that any reaction is inappropriate, I guess, because somebody might shut down. But that was just the thing to say he overacted that scene, I think, is bullshit. Yeah, I, like I said, I don't I don't know. That would be such a difficult thing to handle. I, I can't even imagine. But no, I don't necessarily feel like he overacted. I think he underacted most of the movie up to the point. <laughs> yeah. So maybe the, maybe people up. thought that he overacted in that moment because he had underacted everything else. It's possible. You may so, have a point there. Like that was the first real emotion you get out of him in the whole movie. So so then I, I want you to walk me through what you would be going through in the very next scene. Because to me, that's 
almost worse. Like, he's at the funeral, and then all of a sudden, his fucking father-in-law comes up and is like, I knew this was going to happen. The father-in-law would not have had an opportunity to get the first shot off. Yeah. Like, he just stood there, and I think as soon as Mr., what's his name, Vince Lombardo or whatever his name is, (laughs) I'm thinking Vince Lombardi... Whoever the, the actor is, when father-in-law came up and started hurling accusations, I think I would have just hit him first. And, and I don't get that. Like, they touch on it in the novel some where basically he never wanted Rachel to be with Lewis. Like, he even tried to buy Lewis off by writing him a check. Like, I will put you through medical school myself if you just stop seeing my daughter. But in the film, he tells him, I told Rachel when you got married. <laughs> so I'm like, so he just does this at every event? Like, does he do the catering along with it? Like, I'm here to cater and give you bad news. Yeah, he's like the, he's the drunk uncle that comes up to shit on everybody's good time yeah he's like yeah, i don't know he's like i told her that you would have all the pain you could stand and more and now you did this and then he calls him a murderer of children as if he just threw gage out into the road himself yeah i don't i don't get that yeah she's gonna be like your all. daughter was standing there screaming at least i was running i mean come on yeah no fucking kidding because i would have been running too she just kind of stood there and watched it happen she did yes. i would she's I'd probably been in tow with you yeah but at any rate the fucker lunges at him or hits him and then they start this scuffle which completely inappropriate because lewis fights back neither of them should have been fighting with each other at that time and they hit the fucking coffin and the lid flies up just enough that you see a little hand and oh my god like that scene gets me every damn time i think that's worse than the actual accident. I think mm-hmm. it's worse than some of the stuff that comes up later. Something about just that one little hand, thinking the blue little coat, mm-hmm. just barely floating up through the air and down, and that kind of almost slow motion. And the but. fingers are all chubby and fat and pale. It's, yeah. it's oh my God. Like, well, I think that's because when he's holding the body right after the accident, you can tell it's a My Buddy doll. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With blonde hair. They did. They had him in all flavors, remember? Yeah. <laughs> You, but you can tell it's a doll. And in that scene, it looks like a real, more real, chubby little hand hanging out of a coffin. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's fucking sad. And then it, Rachel pisses me off again because she's just standing by and watching this happen. And then there's like, mommy. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, how fucking old are you? Like, I get it. But you need to be comforting your husband. And then I don't think I'd have anything to do with my father after that. Like, she's not the only one that lost a child. And that's what it felt like. It felt very one-sided. Like, look at me and what I'm going through. It's like, that's his son too. Like, it's just, it's so fucked up. And I feel bad about this, but I actually forgot a scene. So I suck at life. Please forgive me. But between the accident... Don't don't forgive her. Please call her out on every (laughs) social media platform. But between the actual accident and the funeral, there is a scene where... Lewis is flipping through Gage's pictures and he's sitting with Judd and Ellie comes in and she's got a photograph of Gage and she's saying, I'm going to hang on to this picture until God decides to let Gage come back. And Judd speaks up, says, Ellie, God doesn't do things like that. And she's like, he could take it back if he wants to. And I have to get his things ready for him. She's actually pretty creepy in this scene. She's like, I'm going to hang on to this picture and I'm going to sit in his chair. And then Lewis is like, hey, like, cut that, cut that cry shit out, man. And then she just gives Judd this look like she she looks like she got embarrassed, probably. And then she runs off and she starts. I know it's not funny, but it's funny because she's giving the most fake performance of a cry. And 
You, Travis, you had something about that, right? Well, it, it's not a big deal, but apparently the little girl couldn't cry, and Mary Lambert tried everything, bribing her, telling her to think about something sad, and she just couldn't do it. So, yeah, so that's no- why the acting looks fake, because it was <laughs> fake. I was just, that made me call back to, um, fuck, Alex Vincent in Child's Play, where he couldn't cry, and Tom Holland was like, look, if you don't cry, you're gonna hold up this production, and by the time he ended up ripping his ass, he ended up giving a genuine performance. <laughs> so I guess maybe bribing is not the way to go. Yeah, maybe she should have just terrorized him. <laughs> Yeah. It, no animals were harmed in the making of this film. <laughs> Children, however. <laughs> but Judd ends up telling Lewis, like, basically, like, you still got one kid, okay? Like, you need to, you need to take care of, like, be a dad. Suck it up, Buttercup. Yeah, which that'd be so hard. Oh uh, yeah, I was gonna say how you do that. I don't. I don't. It's beyond me. <laughs> so cut back to after the funeral. Sorry for that fuck up there. But after the funeral, we see Lewis putting Ellie. <laughs> what is that look on your face, Travis? I was just thinking that listening to you do a review is like trying to watch a Tarantino movie, and I know he was canceled, <laughs> but like there's so much jumping all over the place, and you're like, I don't know what the fuck's going on anymore. <laughs> Bruce Willis is fighting people. Sam Jackson shooting people in the face. No, John Travolta shoots John guys Travolta's in the face. John Travolta's dancing. I don't know what's happening anymore. I got Madonna's big dick in my left ear. Tommy, Tommy Wong, Tommy Chan. Anyway, so Lewis is putting Ellie down for the night, and she she's still awake, but she, and she looks so pathetic. Like this girl looked like she hadn't slept in days. She has these big bags under her eyes and shit. And she asked him, "God could take it back, couldn't he? Like if he really, really wanted to, can I have faith in that?" And I think he either he doesn't answer her, and he's or he's just like very deadpan. Yeah. Like something like that. And he goes to his bedroom where Rachel's asleep and we have church curled up right on top of her chest. And he tells her, fuck her. Church is a boy. He got his nuts cut. He tells him, fuck off hairball. And then church lunges at him again and runs off. And Judd comes back later that night as Lewis is sitting, having a drink, understandably. And he says, you're having thoughts that best not be thought of. And goes on to tell him, I think that I may be responsible for Gage's death. And Lewis is like, come on, dude. Like, how could you be responsible? And basically, I'm too tired to fuck with you right now. I just buried my kid. I'm not in the mood for this shit. And then this is where, again, going through that fucking laundry hamper, then Judd proceeds to tell him the story of Timmy Bateman. And basically, he got killed in the war. I, I think he says which one, but I can't remember. World War One or World War Two. I think it's World War Two. Yeah. And that when his father got his body back, he decided to bury him on the McBack burial ground. And then his son came back and he doesn't, I don't think he's narrating the entire time, but we do see that the kid comes, or the guy comes back and he ends up at his father's house, like trying to kill him. Is he like down in the, at one point they show him, he's like down in the oh, dirt, yeah, like yeah, worms or something. Yeah. And, or a roadkill or some yeah. shit. Yeah. Then he's in the house with him and that's when he's like mm-hmm. throwing stuff around and he's going, no, calm. Cause he's trying to calm him down. Yeah. And he won't listen. And so Judd shows up with this lynch mob and I think I remember, honey, you were saying something like, so they're just going to burn the house down with <laughs> Yeah, like that was their solution. We're just, we're not going to take this thing out and and handle it. We're just going to burn your house down. That's the best we could come up with. I mean, he did try to tell him to get out. We've brought our combustible lemons and we are going to burn your house down (laughs) with the lemons. Peanut water. I don't know. If London was here, that's what she would have done. Cake is a lie. Continue. (laughs) 
But the moral of this story ends up being the most infamous line of the movie, and I believe it's even its tagline, sometimes, dead is better. You're just not going to give it up, are you? <laughs> and he says it's it, like I like you think. found this thing that you're good at, and you're just going to keep on. I'm sorry, do you want me to stop? No, I just, you should do it more often. I brought you something. Well, no, don't do that. <laughs> Anyway, and he says it like three times throughout the story, but that's basically the point that he's trying to drive home. But after that, they're back at the airport and basically Rachel's taking Ellie and they're getting the hell out of town, which understandably, I don't know that I could stay there after that. But Lewis is staying behind supposedly to get their affairs in order, but we all know what he's going to do. But he's trying to placate Rachel and he says, maybe this is a good thing. Maybe this is the first step into trying to fix things with your parents. And again, I'm sorry. I've said this several times already. Rachel is so fucking cold to him at the airport. Like the way she acts now and the way her character acts later are two different things. Yeah, she's actually more affectionate as a zombie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's true. Did I skip too far ahead? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I think you too. You just mean like right now. She's she's been so cold throughout the whole thing, but then later when she becomes concerned, yeah. suddenly she's like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so concerned." Where you're I like, know. "Where was that the whole movie?" Exactly. It just feels very out of character for her. But before they leave the airport, Ellie starts trying to tell her grandfather, "Like, I'm really worried because I had a bad dream last night about Daddy Gage and somebody named." Pex cow and they're kind of brushing it off like oh it's no big deal let's go and Rachel doesn't even tell Lewis bye she just goes on down the thing and they leave but Ellie I mean they don't sorry I'm getting ahead Ellie does the same thing she did with church and she goes and tells or asks Lewis like is everything gonna be okay do you swear and he says I swear everything's gonna be all right so later on we we kind of get this thing where we're cutting back and forth to what's going on but we get Lewis obviously going to the cemetery to do what he's supposed to do to to dig up Gage and Ellie we cut to Ellie in her grandparents house having a nightmare screaming and I don't know why but something about all those pictures on their wall freaks me out that they have all these pictures all over the place and Rachel runs up to her and says um you're just having a bad dream you know that right and she's saying there was a ghost but it was a good ghost and he was sent to warn us daddy's gonna do something really bad and again we're kind of cutting forth back and forth between that and we do see when Lewis is at the cemetery the Pascal kind of come appears to him again and he's reminding him the barrier's not meant to be crossed the ground is sour and then back to Ellie or no no not back to Ellie yet because Lewis is telling him like if it doesn't work it's fine. I'll just kill him the way that Timmy Bateman was killed. Same thing. Like I'll he'll, just he'll put him to sleep. He'll burn their house down. No, he's like he's he's saying I'll put them to sleep. So anyway, so when Ellie's having this bad dream and she's saying you know he was sent to warn us, and then once Rachel kind of shushes her and leaves, then it starts dawning on her. Did she mean? Pascal? Where have I heard that? And then, of course, Pascal appears to her, too, and is kind of helping her along. Pascal. And all that. And then, all of a sudden, then she springs into action. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And starts trying to call him. And, of course, phones ringing, phones ringing, because Lewis is at the cemetery. And then we have Judd sitting across the street. He's got his six-pack of bud and his cigarettes. And he's like, you've done it, old man. Now you've got to undo it. And is basically keeping watch on the house. And then, since... Rachel couldn't get a hold of Lewis. Then she tries calling Judd and she asks him if he's talked to Lewis and he says no. And he's like, but if I see him, I'll go get him. And she's like, don't bother. I'm on my way. And he's, oh, no, 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 no. Don't do that. And she's like, it's too late. I'm coming. So Lewis does finally dig up Gage. 
it's really sad because he's laying there holding it, or not laying there, he's sitting there holding his body and rocking him back and forth saying, it's going to be all right. I swear it's going to be all right. Well, and he seems to be convinced that the reason it didn't work well with Church is because he waited too long. Well, he says that later about Gage too, when he, yeah. Yeah, and then the wife. Yes. It's the wife that he's, he waited too long. No, he says with Gage he waited too long, but it'll work on Rachel yeah. because she just died. Because yeah. that logic is flawless. <laughs> Yeah. And then we get this shot of what looks like the same room. It, it's it's Rachel in the hallway and it looks like we're in the same room as Zelda's in. And she goes in there and she says, I'm coming for you, Rachel. I think you just creeped Mary out a little bit. <laughs> and this time I'll get you. Gage and I will get you for letting us die. <laughs> And then we see that Rachel was having a nightmare. She's in flight. And then they say that they're about to land. And she's like, thank God. To where this person next to her looks at her like, the fuck is this bitch on? And we see, and it also cracks me up because we see Pascal like in the row behind her, just sitting there, like living his best life, having a good time. Brain exposed. (laughs) Yeah. Just, I hope I get my peanuts. But then we see that uh, Lewis has started making his way down the path. He goes over the deadfall and there's little things that happen. He starts seeing shit and whatever. Um, and meanwhile, Rachel's renting the car and Pascal's helping her throughout all this because lady's like, we don't have any cars. And he's like, what about this car? And she, she's like, well, we do have this, what is it, Sir Aries K or some shit like that. Some car I've never heard of. She's like, but it has a long gash down the side. And she's like, that's fine. I'll take it and lady looks at her like okay at least it wasn't a takuro spirit i, I don't even what it was in the dark tower oh <laughs> sorry oh my gosh <laughs> you, threw you call yourself a fan but at some point during this trip as they're both continuing on rachel gets a flat tire and pascal warns her like it's trying to stop you and you kind of get the idea like maybe she hears him but you're not quite sure if that's true or not but she's just like somebody there you know so is it just me or throughout this whole movie where pascal's involved Was there, like, just a little bit of American Werewolf in London in there? You know, I hadn't thought of that. That's an interesting point. Because it came out in 81. Uh Uh-huh. So, you think maybe part of that was inspired? Well, no, I wouldn't think so because Stephen King wrote the book. Did he write it way before? I think so. I don't know when the book was written. I just know when the movie came out. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. Maybe American Werewolf in London was inspired by Pet Cemetery. Yeah, I don't know. It's just similar, right? You've got yeah, kind of yeah. A, but a, that's interesting that you bring that the up. The ghost guide, and they're still mutilated, and yeah. Hmm. You're welcome. Thanks. You did it wrong. You're supposed to sing it. What? You're welcome. Oh, Moana. <laughs> Moana, like London says. Yeah, I don't know why she does that. So Gage ends up getting buried and Lewis makes the walk back, goes to bed. And then we see, it's, it's, it's almost kind of montage a little bit because then we cut back to the, what do you call it, a cairn? 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 I, I've never known how to pronounce that word. Let's just call it like a Native American burial ground because that's <laughs> pretty much what it is. But we see Gage's little hand come out and start feeling around. And Rachel ends up, which this would be so fucking hard for me, but Rachel ends up taking a ride from an Orinco truck and as Travis pointed out earlier, the number is 666. So not only does she take a ride from a Renko truck, she takes a ride from the same fucking truck. Oh, I never noticed that. Yes. Different driver, <laughs> but, but the same truck. Like, God damn, that's rough. And they got it fixed fast. Seems like... I, uh, I don't know how much damage a two-year-old <laughs> would do to a truck. <laughs> oh, that's like, dark. I, I would think that pretty much going through a car wash would fix it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's really dark that you brought that up in the first place. <laughs> but 
later that night, um, Gage comes home and you don't see his face yet. You just see the little tiny feet going through the house. And he it's goes like up. Chucky. Yeah. You just see the feet. Yeah. And you hear these little growling noises. I, for some reason, my notes, it says growing noises. <laughs> so not only can I not talk, I also can't write. You see him go for Lewis's medical bag and take out the scalpel in his little teeny tiny hands. Like he's examining it. And then we have Judd at his house wake up and he sees little tiny dirty footprints on his floor. He woke up on the porch and he saw the footprints going inside his house. And once he goes in, then there's a ball that rolls across the living room. It's all very fucking creepy and giggling. And he says, let's play hide and seek. And so Judd goes upstairs up to his bedroom and he takes out his knife because he's calling from, are you the one playing games? And then takes out his knife. He's like, I brought you something. And then he goes to the bed because he thinks he's hiding under the bed. But right as he's going to pull up the comforter of the bed. Don't say it. One of the most horrific scenes in the movie. <laughs> this is like the worst thing ever committed to film. <laughs> Don't say it. As he's going to pick up the comforter of the bed, then Church jumps out, scaring and distracting him. And then we see the scalpel go up from under the bed, slicing right down on Judd's Achilles tendon. You're a bad person. And this was the point when I was a kid that I left the room and said, nope. That's it. I can't do anymore. <laughs> there's there's something about any injury to that part of the body that just gives oh, makes oh, me see, cringe. It's so bad. I felt so bad. People are about to get like seriously mad at me. But I was sitting the other night with London and because we just did the Green Inferno, me and London decided to watch the Hostel movies. And Isabel happened to come in there. Now she wasn't watching the movie. She was playing on my phone and she came in right as a part where Josh is being tortured. And I told her, just don't look. And I'm thinking that's enough if she's not looking. I didn't realize the sound was going to get to her as bad as it did. I'm sitting there watching it and it's the same scene where Josh gets his Achilles tendons cut and the guy tells him you're free to go and he it, right as he goes to stand up and walk out then we see that both of those are severed and he falls down and Isabel's like no 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 I can't do this she's doubling down on this for you <laughs> she really is I, I know and I was like Isabel just leave just leave <laughs> so. what's funny is that you we just talked about it on the Green Inferno about how the sound design yes. can be scarier than what you see on the screen. Uh-huh. But you immediately came to the conclusion that hearing it wouldn't <laughs> impact her at all. I don't know oh, where so you you're got just going to back that you're just going to keep running into me with that Orengo truck, aren't you? Yeah. Over it's, it's and a over. Circle over. track. I'm just going to keep coming around. <laughs> But anyway, so then we effectively get to see Gage. He comes out and starts heading towards Judd and with the scalpel in hand and then proceeds to slice his mouth straight across from end to end. Why it's so like the Joker. serious? <laughs> Thank you. I was going to say, well, I know how I got these scars. It was a toddler. <laughs> Anyway, and then he bites down on his neck, like ripping out the front of his throat. A little growl sound. Yeah. <laughs> so about this time, the truck drops uh, Rachel off at her house. At the end of the line? At the end of the... Maybe lane? <laughs> I have no idea what the fuck I wrote here. The Horingo truck drops Rachel off, and as she's starting to head towards her house, she hears, Rachel! He just keeps fucking looking at me. I'm here all week. I don't know when you get into voice acting. Hey, maybe I'll get a job from that. Um, but that that gets her to change course and go to Judd's house instead, which why I don't know. I think I'd be like, nope, <laughs> I'm just going to my house. And she happens across church on the porch licking blood off of his paw. 
So she goes inside the house and then she starts hearing what I can only quote as Zelda noises from upstairs and she goes up and I just wanted to point out, I don't know why this was a choice if it was like insinuating or foreshadowing what was about to happen, but they did a lot of these close-ups on her shoes for some reason. And I don't know if that was to set up for what was going to happen later, but they just, I wanted to say that they really emphasized her shoes for some reason or her footsteps. And they weren't even great shoes. (laughs) They were sensible, but they weren't. They were great. So Rachel goes into Judd's bedroom and sees Zelda at the corner of the room. He starts heading toward her and says, I came back for you. I'm going to twist your back like mine so you'll never get out of bed again. And then repeats that over and over. Never get out of bed again. It's like never louder and shriller. Yeah. It's sort of the way she comes at the, yes. the camera. And in she's that... just got this face full of glee. Yes. And oh God. And Rachel's like shook obviously. And like, but you get the idea that she thinks she's imagining it or something. Cause she starts like closing her eyes and trying to look away. But then she hears Gage's voice. Now, if you've been paying attention, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's the best snort you've ever done. What movie was that? For those not in the know, when I said that Rachel was closing her eyes and looking away, Travis, for some reason, to fuck with me, I guess, started imitating Jamie Lee Curtis from Halloween H two O. Squeezing his eyes really tight. So I apologize for the very loud audio. (laughs) We like to have fun around here. If you've been paying attention to Rachel's parents' house throughout the movie, you've seen this painting in the background this whole time of what looks like a little old woman dressed up in like this navy blue gown and a top hat and a cane, I think. And I think there's dogs in the picture or a dog in the picture or something like that. Now, I think this is to kind of, because they didn't do it in the film. This was kind of to call back Oz's great and terrible thing, theme that was running throughout the novel. Um, I could be wrong about that, but that's what it felt like to me. And she sees Gage and he's wearing this same exact outfit that's been featured in this painting. And of course, she sees her baby again. So she's just in complete shock. And he starts saying, I brought you something, mommy. I brought you something, mommy. And then she's just like reaching out to hold him. And he goes, to her still saying I brought you something mommy and then you cut away and you see the scalpel go up and then the next thing you hear is a stab you don't see it but you hear the stab and you hear her screaming her head off like it's and then we have a funny scene it cuts to Lewis rolling out of bed and he bounces his head off the corner of his nightstand Travis is like, I don't know. It didn't even leave a mark. <laughs> Did it? I felt like he had like a I don't think thing. so. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> when he wakes up, kind of comes to after this fall, he notices the muddy footprints in the bedroom. And then he goes, he sees that his medical bag's open. He wanders over and notices that the scalpel is missing. And he hears Gage's laugh. So then he goes to the kitchen and the phone rings. It's Irwin to check in on Rachel. Like she, she was supposed to have come there last night. I want to make sure she's okay. Lewis is distracted by the footprints and, you know, everything that's happening. He says that she's asleep. And Irwin says, I suggest you wake her up. Elliot had a bad dream that her mother was dead. And then he's like, I really can't talk to you right now and hangs up on him. And then the phone rings again and he answers it. Erwin, I said, I can't talk to you right now. And then he says, and it's Gage's voice. And he's like, daddy, will you come over and play with me? It's, 
<laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. You just totally messed that up. Was it first I played with Judd? I haven't gotten there yet. That's what he tells him. Yes, but not at the point where I'm at. He just says, will you come over and play with me? And then, yeah, he does say, first I played with Judd, then Mommy came, and then I played with Mommy. We had an awful good time. Now I want to play with you. I'm looking at you when I'm saying that. You're so weird. (laughs) Then Lewis does exactly what he said he was going to do. He loads up some syringes. As he starts off to Judd's, we see he starts calling for church, and church runs up. And he's telling him he's got food for him. And then he says, today is Thanksgiving Day for cats. So he throws him this big steak, I think. And his church is mowing down on the steak. He ends up picking him up and giving him the full syringe. I actually like this part because his church is, is dying. He says, that's it. Lie down. Play dead. And then screams, be dead. And I don't know why. I, I just, I love the way he delivered that. I don't understand how a two and a half year old kid dialed a phone. <laughs> You'd be surprised. But he goes over to Judd's and he sees Rachel's bag on the porch. And he goes inside and this house is like completely fucking trashed and just dilapidated. And he sees Rachel's shoe on the step, which is why I think they were placing so much importance. Like, see, that's her shoe. That's her shoe. You saw it in all these shots, right? That's her shoe. He grabs the shoe and as he grabs it, the house goes back to normal. And Gage starts giggling and says, scared you, didn't I? And now he says, now I want to play with you. So is that meant to imply that he had the power to make him see something else? I guess. I I don't know. That's not... Well, the fact that he saw it, picked up the shoe, and this vision or whatever of a dilapidated house that he was seeing went away, and then it's followed by, I scared you, didn't I? Yeah. Does that mean that he was doing that? That he caused that? Yes. It makes it sound that way. Like he's... Yeah. The thing is, in the novel, Gage and anybody who was undead, they were capable of a lot more than what the movie alluded to, because... Unfortunately, with having a toddler, he wasn't capable of doing the things that they were able to do in the book. Like, for instance, right before Gage kills Judd, he, like, totally went on this thing where he was fucking with him, where he was talking in his dead wife's voice and saying all kinds of horrible shit to him and cussing and... Seemed like they were much, much more evil, mm-hmm. like, I think. But that was, again, that was part of what made it scarier to me. Well, y'all would have to clarify that for me. So in the book, were they was it like a demon when they came back? That, that, that the was idea? always the impression that I got, that a demon inhabits, like, the body, the dead body's basically a shell. Right, and it's like, when they would come, that, like I said, the, whole, the ground was sour. Mm-hmm. Any, like, positive energy that would have come out of it was gone. So now, I guess, yeah, something evil was able to take that vessel, possibly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like supernatural. But Lewis goes upstairs to the bedroom, and he sees Rachel's purse and Judd's knife, and he finds... <laughs> sorry. He finds Judd's body and his jaw bones ripped off. This is not supposed to be funny. <laughs> but she synced it. <laughs> exactly. Travis knew what I meant. I, my mind automatically went to Pineapple Express. I think you ripped a dude's jaw boat off one. <laughs> and then as he heads back out, then Rachel's body comes flying out of the top of the attic. And then we see <laughs> this horrible fucking doll. Or a puppet or something. That's supposed to be Gage. He was just there. Ah! Like drops from the attic, I think. <laughs> he jumps. 
he jumps from the attic and lands on top of Lewis and just starts like biting and attacking him and stuff. And he ends up like stabbing and cutting Lewis several times. And once, I don't, I don't know, there's a few minutes of that that goes by until Lewis eventually does manage to throw him across the room. And then goddamn, this is where I want to cry all over again. Because he goes to stand up and says, Daddy... And then starts heading toward him and it cuts between this gauge and normal gauge going back and forth the flashbacks of him holding the, the kite. And he walks over to him and he's like, she's still growling and shit like that. Ah. Lewis gives him the syringe in the neck and he lets out the saddest fucking cry I've ever heard in my life. Like, it's no disrespect to my own children, but goddamn, this is the saddest cry I've ever heard. And then Gage, like, puts his finger on his lip, and he gives the big lip, and then he starts walking off. No fair. No fair. No fair. See, that's what I always think is, no fair. <laughs> no fair. <laughs> Which it's always so gets sad. me. It, it gets is. me because, like, okay, so my husband... Not in the Stephen King scary movies, anything, but I made him watch this with me once. Yeah. And I'm talking about the little hand, the truck, you know, all this kind of stuff. And he was like, I'm okay with this. We get to that part. Oh. And he was like losing it. And I was like, I mean, it's sad, but he was like, no. He was like, that little boy was crying and it made me so sad. It is, because even Travis said the same thing. He, he was he just was like, don't bring me into this. <laughs> No, I'm just thinking, like, so the truck and the little bloody shoe, <laughs> and that didn't get him. No. But, that wow, okay. Cry, that little tiny cry. That's... Think of, remember his face? He just does that. The little lip. Like, he and... makes this little sound when he gives him the shot. It's like this, like, just really, like, he just kind of, yeah, yes, that's it's how so it It's so fucking sad, yes. It gets me every time. But what cracks me up immediately after is he kind of falls down to the ground. And he gives him this fucking look. He just looks like, I'm like, eh. You son of a bitch. Yeah. I just have it in my notes here. He just gives him this look of complete contempt. Then, eh. And then dies. It's just so weird how you go from, like, just wanting to cry your eyes out to just laughing immediately yes. after. Because he's like, fuck you, dad. But then we cut to Lewis uh, getting, like, pouring gasoline all over the house, burning it See, down. that's how you fix it. You burn the house down. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, he could have skipped all that other stuff and just burned the house down and it would have been fine. As we see in this scene, Lewis is pretty much fucking gone. He's completely cracked at this point. And I would imagine that putting your kid down would do that. He takes Rachel's body and starts heading down the path again. And Pascal shows up. Even though I remember him telling Rachel, this is the end of the line for me. I can't go any further. But he somehow shows up again. And he's telling him, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. But this is not the way. And Lewis is like, it'll work this time. I mean, she just died. I waited too long with Gage, but it'll work because she just died. And he keeps saying that over and over until... Pascal just screams no. So we go back down the path one last time and then nightfall. The house is continuing to burn on the side of the road and why no fire trucks are there. No cops, not even any bystanders are standing there going, look at that house burn like all of us in Texas do. Because <laughs> we do. Like, oh, where are the fire trucks going? I must follow. So, I mean, I don't, but my, my mom might do that. <laughs> 
Then we get what to me is the creepiest fucking scene in this movie over Zelda, over everything. And that's that we get a voiceover from Judd saying, man grows what he can and he tends it. What you buy is what you own and what you own always comes home to you. Oh, God. God, I'm getting chills again. I fucking hate that line. So we see Lewis go inside and he's sitting in the kitchen floor playing game of solitaire and then the clock strikes midnight i guess that's important because they made it clear a couple of times it's midnight like in his house in the town (laughs) clock like everything and the door opens and we see one single hand with long bloody fingernails wrap its hand around the door and then we see the feet and there's one shoe again And the score, I have to point out in this moment, is so fucking creepy. But Lewis is so excited, like, kid at Christmas. He stands up and he's smiling and he's, like, waving his hands to grab at her or whatever. And then we get the shot of Rachel, who we see ended up getting her eye gouged out. It looked like he ate half of her face. It's pretty fucking rough. She was was pretty jacked up. And she's got, like, pus and shit. But to be fair, this is the most affectionate she's been in the whole movie. (laughs) It's true. Like, she shows up. She's like, I'm ready to do you now. (laughs) It's true, because she's all like, darling. And yeah, her eyes all fucking dripping and shit. And for whatever reason, this turns Lewis on, because he goes in for a big sloppy ass kiss. Yeah, he just goes for it. Tongue and everything. It's so gross. But we see that she reaches out, grabs a knife, goes to raise it up. We cut to black. We hear the sound of a stab and Lewis's scream. And then we cue the Ramones's Pet Cemetery. Are you going to sing it for us? No. No, no. <laughs> I think I've done enough impressions question. for one night. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to imitate the Ramones. Like, no. <laughs> so, honey, what do you think about Pet Cemetery? Uh, I don't want to get buried in Pet Cemetery. Oh you didn't do the Ramones, so I did. You don't want to live your life again. <laughs> yeah. I know oh, it's you a said good movie. You... It's got some tough subject yeah. matter in it for, for me. And without turning it into that whole thing, like I think it, it definitely, the movie feels different when you don't have kids and then when you do have kids. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of content there that you kind of have to have another small person that you're attached to for you to for it to really have an emotional impact right like you you kind of get it when you don't have kids but uh, it's it's just a lot it it hits a lot closer to home i guess Mm -hmm. um other than that it's it's a pretty good movie i mean when you said when you were kind of half-heartedly watching it it was okay but when you sat down and paid attention to it you felt yeah i mean i would still say it's a good movie i would say people need to watch it i think i need to read the book because I feel like I probably would like the book better than I like the movie. You get so much more insight to who um, Lewis is as a person and his yeah. desires and the things he's thinking about as Rachel's treating him this way. And yeah. A lot of um, the journey, just like I said, from the deadfall to the burial mm-hmm. ground and all that, there's so much more detail in that that is really interesting. See, I would like that. More yeah. of the mm-hmm. background of the area and that sort of thing. And you can listen to it in audio form. You don't even have to read it. <laughs> Not the same. <laughs> Oh, he was the one telling me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I just like now you're telling me it's okay. I thought we just established that it's not okay. Like if you watch a comic book movie, is it not the same as reading the comic book? 
Because if you listen God to damn it, it you got me there. You if you got listen me there. to it in audiobook form, you're just listening to the story. I feel like I'm an so Marvel expert. So if you put on expert. a movie and close your eyes and you're just listening to the story, is it the same as an audiobook? Yeah. Because you're listening to someone else read you a story. Oh no, no, no. I don't have I don't have a problem with audiobooks. You're like, saying it's the same. I've thing. done covered a lot of King that way and Barker. I just don't feel like watching a movie is the same as reading the book. Okay, but if you put it on and it's background noise and all you're hearing <laughs> is the story, it's the same as an audiobook. No. It's exactly the same. <laughs> no. Anyway, <laughs> that's a good movie. I think people should watch it. It's better than I had initially given it credit for. Um, some of the acting's a little, yeah. I, I watch yeah. it. I, I watch it for Fred Gwynn. Just because I think he's awesome. He's literally the best part of this movie. He, yeah. I mean, he kind of, he's he's probably the best actor in this movie. Now that I know that uh, Miko, whatever, yeah, the Miko little guy. Hughes, yeah. Now that I know that he was less than three years old when they made this movie, a um, little more impressed with him. Yeah. You know, I mean, he pulled off a lot of stuff. I don't know how much candy it cost him to get him to do those things, but... <laughs> He did a good job. I, mean, I we believe already... I heard an interview where he said he got paid in Happy Meals or some shit like that. Yeah, I don't know. But whatever whatever the case may be, the little guy did a good job. I feel like the, whoever, what's his name? Sexy guy? Isn't that what you called him? Sexy guy? Dale Midkin. He, uh, he's okay. I mean, like I said, I feel like I'd seen him in other things. His acting's a little stiff in most, most of the movie. Um, the lady from Star Trek. I can't, I just can't do names. Um, <laughs> her acting was pretty wooden, I think. Outside of that, it's still a good movie. I mean, I I don't I don't feel like any of that makes it a bad movie though. So I think the story is good enough that you can have some of those things in it and it'd still be good. If it had a weak story, then it would be a deal breaker. Yeah. But the story's strong enough to kind of stand on its own, mm-hmm. even with some performances that are eh, not so great. What about you? Did, did you have anything you just didn't like about it? Not really. Yeah. I mean, there's there's I mean, other like the acting and stuff like that. But I mean, the practical effects and stuff were good. The story was really good. Mm-hmm. I just I don't know. I'm biased because it was. King. Like yeah, if someone else had written the story, I probably would, you know, nitpick it to death. But it, when he writes something, I typically just take it as what it is. It's as the king intended it to be. So it must be fine. Yeah. Well, he wrote the screenplay. So I think that lent a lot to its authenticity. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And he didn't direct it, which made it better than Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> oh, so oh, you're wrong. What do you think about it, Mary? It's one of, it's one of my favorite King movies. There's a lot of them aren't done very well, it Mm -hmm. feels like. And so this is one that actually, the book is always going to be better for most of the stuff for me. But in the end of the movies, I think this is one of the better ones that even if you haven't read the book, you could really appreciate it. And you're missing out on a little bit of detail, but you're still getting really the heart of the story. Mm -hmm. They're not changing up a bunch of stuff like they do in a lot of ones that kind of throw the story off. But yeah, if you asked me, you know, top three definitely in the top three books movie everything i just i think it's it gets a lot of it gets a lot of crap mm-hmm. a lot of people are just you know, like I said the acting and things like that people are just oh it's it's you know i just never got that i've always I, liked it mm-hmm. from the time the first time i watched it i've never not liked the movie so so you i think it's great so you think like what what's your number one then like langoliers is that your favorite <laughs> but you know what thinner <laughs> You know, I will watch them though. <laughs> I, I know, I do too. Oh. oh, I love the mist. It's good. And then the It miniseries. I know it's like a miniseries, not a movie, but I just love it. I do too. So, so much. I also, if I'm ever thinking about best Stephen King movies of all time, I almost always go Shawshank Redemption in Green Mile. As you have to. Like, <laughs> they're not even just like best. Stephen like King movies. Levels. Yes. 
their best movies of all yes. time, period. Like, so fucking good. And, and because they are what they are, sometimes you forget that they're even Stephen King stories. There's a lot of people I don't think they even realize that they are. Mm-hmm. And then you tell them and they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Because he, he's such a talented writer and capable of so much and can go in all different types of genres. Like It doesn't do like the typical scary horror yeah. movie thing yeah. like people expect it to. Yeah. Well, I, I've never I've never read The Shawshank Redemption, but I did read The Green Mile. And it's, I don't know, if you read that book or that is a short story. I think it's just a short story or a novella, maybe. I know it came out in a series of yeah. little... Yeah, but reading it, even if King's name wasn't on it, you would still know it was him. It just, he does have a certain way of writing, It just doesn't for sure. translate that well into the movie where, yeah, if, if you didn't put his name on the movie, people might not know what it was. Right. But mm-hmm. but in the book, even even if his name wasn't on the cover, I think reading it, you would still know that that's his. That's his baby. But it is really good. It's a good book and a good movie, so. And you? I mean, me? <laughs> Travis is like, you don't get to talk anymore. <laughs> You, you dominated the, this whole episode. You, you spent all your minutes already. <laughs> Funnily enough, I actually divided my likes thing into three different categories this time. Normally, I just have likes and dislikes, but this time I have likes, minor bitches, and then dislikes because... Oh, I thought you were going to say major bitches. Major, I could. <laughs> likes, major bitches. So likes, I think the score is really great, and I don't think it gets the credit that it deserves. I think for what it is, it's a really solid adaptation of the story. Like you said, there's really only minor differences that at the end, it doesn't really matter. Sure, it would have been great to have those things like the Wendigo and stuff, but the side story of Lewis's friend, not really a huge thing you're missing. The specifics of why Judd led Lewis to the pet cemetery, not that big of a deal. It would have just been one more character. And I think ultimately that's where Missy was brought in because Missy wasn't in the novel. I don't necessarily remember Um, the novel. I think Missy ended up being in place of Judd's wife. And maybe that was just to have something shorter. But either way, it didn't bother me. Love, love, love Miko Hughes in this movie so much. He's just so fucking adorable. And as Travis has already brought up, Fred Gwynn's the best part of this movie. As you guys have heard... And bared with me, I've just been fucking quoting and imitating him this whole time because to me, he's he and Pascal are what make this movie really memorable. Now for minor bitches, the acting is is stiff from a lot of people in this. And I just found Ellie to be really fucking annoying. I mean, there are certain scenes where she's cute and there are certain scenes that are warm with her. But at the end of the day, I just felt like she was so fucking whiny and cryy throughout. Cry is not a word, but I'm going to say it anyway. She just did that for the majority of the movie. And it was like, oh my God, if there wasn't a Gage character, I would think she's an only child. Like that's literally how she acts. And then for just straight up dislikes, Rachel. I did not like Rachel's character in the movie at all. I don't feel like she was as bad in the novel. I mean, she still had her issues, but she wasn't just outright a bitch to Lewis the way she was in the movie and her parents especially her dad not so much her mom her mom kind of had that typical i'm just going along with my husband trope thing but they were just the worst but other than that those are only two dislikes i have i can't really fault this movie at all and to bring up something you brought up earlier and bringing up hereditary i feel like this might have been the first horror movie to really explore the theme of grief I can't recall seeing anything before it that touched on that. But Hereditary, obviously, since. But I felt like this was really the first time we got to explore what grief looks like and how the a death really affects a family. And so 
I mean, complete kudos to that. This is a film I would recommend to everybody, especially if you're a King fan, but not only if you're a King fan. It's right. just, it's a, at its heart, it's about family. It's a really emotionally driven film. So yeah, absolutely watch it. So that wraps up this episode. And before we go, I just want to announce what's in store in the next couple of weeks. As always, with every month, we treat you to an episode of Pillow Talk. And now I'm going to bring up, since the fact Mary is sitting here with us, we do have some extra questions from her, all Stephen King related, as well as questions from a couple of our favorite listeners and a film request. So next week, look forward to Pillow Talk where we're going to answer questions. And then the week after our film request kicking off our summer jam. I don't, I haven't thought of a clever enough title for that yet. Clearly. <laughs> Boner jams. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> is that, is that from Time Life? <laughs> we, we got a request from one of our favorite listeners, especially one of Travis's favorite listeners. But we are going to be covering Jaws next to kick off our summer theme. God damn it. <laughs> There's two reasons I won't swim in the ocean. Number one, fish fucking it. Number two, Jaws. Like, how do you not know he's coming? Don't you hear the music first? Bottom. <laughs> I do, every time. <laughs> and I've got a great story to tell about that, by the way. But you'll have to tune in to find out. So, until next time, I've been Ashley. Oh, that's me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm me. I'm Travis. And we want to thank our very special guest and Easter egg recipient, final Easter egg of the month, my best friend of 20 plus years, Mary. Thank you all for having me. I didn't want to do this at first. <laughs> like I told them, I was going to sit in the corner and be very quiet, but they gave me a chair and <laughs> I got comfortable. So I'm glad I did this. So thank you all for having me do this because I really enjoyed it. We had such a such a blast doing this. I mean, it's, it's always great to have a guest on and get a different perspective than ours or somebody who knows more about the subject clearly than we do. I'm starting to think that we should peer pressure her into being on every time we do a King movie. Hey, there's a thought. Like a recurring character. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like Aiden. Aiden sits in for pillow talks a lot, so. Okay, but a lot of times it's just because he forgets we're recording and wanders in here. <laughs> That's true. And we're like, all right, true. sit down. You're in it now, bud. But like, I'm, I'm sure you're going to want to do the stand at some point. Of I'm sure course. you're going to want to do the it of miniseries course. at some point. Well, now point. I'm going to make you do the mist. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, and this is me doing the crying face that the dad had at the end of the mist. Yeah. But anyway, guys, thank you for being here as always. Take care. Bye. Hey guys, quick reminder to find us on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as SpookyMom83 and Travis on Twitter as TravisL80. And find our official page on Instagram and Twitter at Dead and Married. If you have any questions or suggestions for films or otherwise, feel free to email us at deadandmarried at yahoo.com. Later.